Welcome back to another episode, and I am so glad that it is Monday and you are tuning in with us because that means that uh, lives are going to be changed. I believe that. That's why we do what we do here. And, you know, Eric, I, you're, you're getting back on your feet a little bit more each week, and I just want to say something. You know, I, I talked last week about, you know, Eric had had to have emergency surgery, and he wasn't feeling so good, but I appreciate everything you do. I mean, showing up like this when I know you're still not feeling great. And uh, this would not be happening if it wasn't for what Eric has been doing. So continue to please, you know, keep him, um, you know, in your prayers. Man, sometimes surgeries can be such a long recovery. But, you know, I know God is in it, and uh, he's in what we're going to be talking about today. So looking forward to this episode. I had a question come in, and uh, the question was, um, was it, I think it was Tom from Pennsylvania. I think that's what it was. And he was asking, what are you doing right now to prepare for the rut? So, you know, here we are, you know, like the the third week of, of October, whatever it is, you know, in the rut, you know, young bucks are going to start coming in here, you know, like maybe the end of this next week, you know, and then you're going to have some of your more mature bucks, you know, really the, the biggest, you know, days of the year, usually like November 7th and 8th, at least here in, in you know, in central uh, U.S. when, when the bucks are going to be rutting. And what am I doing to prepare for the rut? Well, absolutely nothing right now. And I hate saying that because usually I'm going nuts, but I have been traveling so much and speaking, I haven't had a chance, you know, to be able to get down to where, you know, I, about two and a half hours away is where, you know, the property is where I hunt and take care of it. And, you know, could I get out for a day or two and go down? Yeah, I could. But here's the thing, man, it's so easy to make hunting an idol, Right. And my wife, my, my children come first. So what am I doing to prepare for the rut? I'm making sure that my family is taken care of right now. You know, somebody was asking me the other day, he said, hey, what kind of a dog? You have a hunting dog? And I said, yeah. He said, like, what kind of a hunting dog do you have? And I said, it's an F1B mini golden doodle. And he goes, that's not a hunting dog. I said, yeah, it is. He goes, how do you, how do you figure? I said, that's the dog that keeps my wife happy while I go hunting. Hunting dog, perfect. You know, but what would I be doing? Um, you know, man, in, in the middle of the summer, you know, you're making sure your stands are exactly where you want them to be because you don't want to be, you know, bumping. When the rut's going on, you know, they've got their, their travel patterns are changing. You know, they're, they've got their food areas, their bedding areas. But when the rut's going on, everything kind of gets thrown out the window. Um, but before this has ever happened, I've made sure that I've got all my straps, you know, replaced on my, my tree stands if they need it. Guys, Check your your uh, your straps because squirrels will chew those things. The UV rays, whether you realize it or not, it actually rots the fabric in the straps that are going around. You know your ratchet straps, so they only are good for a certain amount of time. Even your safety harness, guys, wear your safety harness. If you look, it's got an expiration date on there because UV again rots the fabric. And if you were to fall out of that that tree stand and you have your safety harness on and it's expired and the UV has begun to rot it, it might not give you the protection, you know, that you need. But man, I mean, the the rut coming into it, you know, a lot of guys love to be able to use, you know, um, you know, dough and heat, you know, estrus smells, you know, different things to put down to try to, you know, bring a white tail in. You know, a whitetail can smell a doe going into estrus at over 400 paces away. They have an amazing sense of smell. They smell about 10,000 times, up to uh, 10,000 times better than what you and I do. I always make sure that you're hunting the right stand. I always want to make sure that I have enough stands out there in different locations that 
on any given day, if that wind is going to be changing, I can make sure I'm in the place where I need to be because that is really the, the main thing. You know, don't be seen, heard, and smelled. We, we've talked about that so many times. But the rut's a different animal. I mean, they're, they're coming from all these different areas and trying to bump does out of the bedding areas. And, you know, a lot of guys say, where do you like to hunt during the rut? Well, I don't want to be right in the bedding area. You don't want, you don't want to be, you know, putting your scent all over the place, but I absolutely want to make sure I know where those travel corridors are where the bucks are running from bedding area to bedding area because that's what they're doing. They're looking for does. So you find an area where the does are going to be not traveling too far to get food and water and then going back to bedding, and you're going to find the bucks. You know, they're going to be, be bumping these and running back and forth through there. So, well, let's get into it today. Um, you know, we, we talked in the, in the first of the Big Five Man Killer episodes, we did two weeks on, on lack of purpose and how important purpose is in our lives. You know, even thinking about, you know, deer hunting. Well, Brent, how does that play into purpose in your life? It's, it's what I do that actually reaches so many of the, the events that I speak for. You know, I speak for a lot of wild game dinners, a lot of men's retreats, a lot of men's conferences, a lot of churches. You know, if you want to find out more about that, I never talk about it on here, but you can go to unleashed.men. And you can get the information off of there. I'd love to be able to come and do a game dinner, a conference, a retreat, or whatever. But, you know, as, as we move through purpose, I'm hoping that each one of you in those first two weeks on purpose, we're not just thinking about what is my purpose, but learning how to live on purpose. You know, that thing that God made you to do, how do you become intentional in moving that forward? We talked about that in week two of Lack of Purpose, episode for Unleashed. Then last week, we talked about you know, a man's need for respect. You know, we said that he doesn't um, struggle with respect. He struggles with his need for respect. And this week, man killer number three, um, I gave this one to the Cape Buffalo because man killer number three is anger. You know, why would you give it to Cape Buffalo? If you have ever been around Cape Buffalo, you will know that they are a ticking time bomb and their fuse can be lit for no reason and they are a, a freight train of black muscle and horns, and they will mess you up. Um, I, was, I was in Africa. I'm trying to think what year this trip was, in the mid-2000s somewhere. And when I had arrived at the, the camp, our hunting camp, the owner of the safari was telling me, he said, man, we just got the Jeep back that you guys are going to be using because it had to be repaired because we had a Cape Buffalo charge it. One hit did $20,000 worth of damage. I mean, that's how big these things are. And they are just, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, Black Death, you know, Black Mamba, but Cape Buffalo, they, they wear that name well, Black Death, because that's exactly what they are. So the owner of the safari takes me out one day. We're going to be scouting. We're looking, I forget what animals we were looking for to, you know, start trying to figure out where we could, you know, hunt each day and where they were moving from, you know, water holes and things. And there was a, a group of Cape Buffalo. And I hear him go, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, what's going on? And I look, and here comes this one Cape Buffalo flying out of the herd. And I'm hanging out the window with my camera. We've got dust plumes going behind us, and he is chasing us down. These Animals get upset, and you don't have any un, any understanding of why. And guys, we know that's exactly what can happen with us. We can have um, all of a sudden we get really angry about something, and we're like, "What in the world caused that?" You know, we we have no idea where it can come from, but many times it can come from lack of respect, like we talked about last week. 
And here's what's interesting. You can almost like a cascading effect. You can begin to look at each one of these big five man killers that we talk about. You know, we start with um, lack of purpose, lack of respect, anger, then lust, then shame. Think about this for a second. I just want to kind of play this, this role with you for a second. When a man begins to feel a lack of purpose, and let's say that his wife, like I talked about one of the episodes, well, you might just have to go find a job that maybe is not up to your standards. Well, now I feel disrespected. Now, if a man begins to feel disrespected, there's a good chance he might start to feel angry under the hood. And if that man is in a bad place, all of a sudden he can go to man killer, um, well, number three, which was anger, which can drive him to man killer number four, which can be, you know what? If my wife is going to treat me like that, the next thing you know, he can be flirting with someone. He could be running to porn, whatever that thing is when he's buying into lies, which ends up leading into man killer number five, which we'll be talking about in another two weeks, which is shame. He begins to feel bad about himself. And guess what? He gets to that point where he feels shame. And because he feels bad about himself, he begins to repeat the whole thing over and over and over again. So let's get back to this week. We're talking about, you know, man killer number three, uh, which is anger. So what is it that makes you angry. I mean, like, do you have a, a pet peeve or something? I mean, I do. Um, and my family will tell you this, they know. And it's something I'm not proud of. I mean, I, I keep it under control really, really well. I don't know when I was younger, if I did occasionally it'll still rear its head, but mine is like, it's like when you get stupid drivers, I mean, I don't know what else to call them. You, you find them, you know, anywhere, especially in big cities, man, I not a fan of driving in big cities. You know, everybody's cutting each other off the road. They're not letting, you know, in. you can tell country drivers, right? They wave to you going down the road. If you do get stuck in traffic, they're letting you go first. You know, there's just something so peaceful. But man, when I get in those, sometimes, because I travel all the time and I drive a lot, it drives me nuts when people are cutting each other off. And I, last week I talked about the guy, you know, flying up behind me in his Mercedes and he was, you know, riding my bumper. But Man, that can really, that disrespect can just make me really angry. Um, let me, let me kind of give you an example, uh, one that I can think of. I, if you remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about hearing the voice of God. And it was actually in the, uh, the, the first, I think it was La- Lack of Purpose episode one, where that big bear I had to shoot that was coming at me um, and had to take the thing down. Well, I had come back from Colorado on that trip. And it was only a couple days after I'd arrived back and I had frozen, you know, the, the hide of that bear. And I was taking it to a taxidermist and I'm driving around Indianapolis. Now, 465 is, is one of the roads that goes north and south, you know, around the, the city. And when I was driving uh, on 465 South to head to this taxidermist, I didn't know where he lived and I had the address in my cell phone and my cell phone was in a holder, which was kind of down low. I was driving at the time. I think I had a Dodge Ram and, and it was pouring rain. I mean, it was, it was awful. You couldn't see my windshield wipers are on fast on, and on high now, on one side, you know, there's like a cement barrier. It's construction. They've got the orange barrels and it just, just a bad day to be driving. And I couldn't see my GPS down low, so I pick it up in my hand. I'm driving with my left hand, holding that phone in my right to use the GPS up where it's in my line of sight so I can see if anybody's, you know, cutting into my lane or construction changes or whatever. And as I'm holding this, this jacked-up four-wheeler pulls up to my left. And this guy's got his hat spun kind of sideways, backwards a little bit, kind of in between, and he's got a big unshaven beard, and he's looking at me, 
And I see him pointing his finger, and I can see him screaming, and he's cussing. I can read his lips. He's cussing me out, you know, get off your blankety-blank phone and all this stuff. And he's just screaming, and I'm like, dude, I'm trying to hold my GPS so I don't, you know, so I know where I'm going. I'm going to hurt somebody here. And he just keeps doing this. And, man, I'm telling you, I could feel the anger begin to well up inside of me because it felt like one of those unjust things, right? He was being disrespectful. That's the way I felt. And so he goes flying by me. Man, in that moment, I pulled out behind him. I felt disrespected. I was getting angry. And I wanted to show him, well, let me be honest. I wanted to give him a piece of my mind. All right, let's be honest. And I wanted to show him I was looking at my phone, dork, right? And as I'm trying to catch up to him, he's speeding up. And I'm speeding up in this bad weather, and I realized all of a sudden I was buying into that lie. Remember how we talk about the big lie, my performance plus others' opinions equals my self-worth? It was biting me right on the butt. And I'm, and I'm flying behind this guy, trying to catch up to him, because I was getting my worth and value from what he thought in that moment. And just like last week when I talked about that driver coming up behind me, remember that was his problem? I love the Holy Spirit. I love how he will just begin to speak to you in, in that moment when you sometimes you don't want to hear from him, right? You want to be angry. You want to feel justified. You want to get even. And so there's this guy, and I'm speeding up trying to catch him, and the Holy Spirit's like, what are you going to do if you catch him? And I'm thinking, I haven't thought that through yet. I just want to give him peace of my mind. And then the Holy Spirit goes, uh, I wonder why he might be yelling at you that you're on your phone in heavy traffic. And I'm like, are we really going to go there? And then he said, uh, have you ever had a time in your life where you were upset with someone for maybe being on their phone when they were driving? And instantly, whew, my parents back in uh, January of 2013 were in Florida. They were sitting in an intersection. And a girl who was texting, wasn't looking up, you know, rear-ended my parents as they were sitting still. Um, Long story short, my dad had brain damage, mom broke her leg. Only a matter of months after that, my dad had been in a coma for three months. When he came out, he was never the same, could never walk again. And, you know, when he passed away, it was so hard. And then my mom passed away only a couple months after that. And so I'm going, yeah, yeah, there was a time when I was really mad. And instantly, I began to feel my anger go down. What was it? that the Holy Spirit was showing me in that moment. It's something that Jesus used incredibly well. This was one of the weapons that he would be able to use to defeat the enemy, and it was empathy. It was getting into other people's worlds. You know, it's, it's being willing to, again, we talked about last week, laying down my need to be right or to win and try to understand where they might be coming from. Some of us out there, it feels like that's a weakness, but it really isn't. When we can look at the, the power and strength in that, it's, it's incredible. You know, I'm tired of, of you know, I was talking about, well, the enemy did this to me, the enemy did that to me. Well, you know what? It's time we learn how to hunt the enemy. I'm, I'm tired of him. And that's what we're doing here each week. We're trying to give you tools so you can begin to hunt the enemy. Like the rut we talked about, you know, how do we, how do we know where the enemy's going to be coming from? What direction is he coming from? Where does he like to hide? Well, we're going to expose some of that again today, how he comes through the, the door banger. I was, uh, this is kind of funny. I was in um, Pennsylvania, it was maybe about four years ago, and I was, I was marrying my niece. Okay, I wasn't marrying my niece. I was performing the wedding for my niece, and my, my wife was with me. And after the, the wedding, we were, um, 
at the wedding reception at, I, I don't know, it was like a Moose Lodge or someplace. And they had, you know, people could get drinks back in the back and they were doing the, like the dancing up front, you know, and the, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen and all this stuff, you know, they're all having fun, the time of their life. And Stacy and I kind of wandered back and we had been talking to someone back near where everyone was, everyone was getting their drinks. And I see the bartender staring my wife up and down. Now, I have a really beautiful wife, and I had no idea that this bartender had been drinking, and he was already pretty toasty, but he keeps staring at her. But I wasn't kind of noticing it, but she was. You know, she could sense it. She keeps seeing him inappropriately kind of, you know, looking her up and down. And she whispers in my ear, she goes, can we move? And I said, why? She says, I am really uncomfortable that bartender keeps like looking me up and down and I just, I, it's giving me the creeps. And I look over at the guy and he sees me see him. So rather than stop like looking at me like he got caught. Now here's what we talked about disrespect and how disrespect can lead to anger. What does he do? He steps out from behind the counter where the bar is so he can see my wife better and he looks her up and down and then he looks me in the eye and he goes, that's a really beautiful wife you got there. And I just kind of looked at him and he goes, but I'm not hitting on her or anything. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of my not so proud moments. And I look back at the guy when he says, I'm not hitting on your wife or anything. And I said, that's okay. Because I hit back and I hit really hard. My wife looks at me like, did you really just say that? You know, what do you do in a moment like that when someone is, now, if you knew my wife's story, you would understand why. The things that she went through as a child that she never should have had to experience, and a lot of it was at the hands of, of, of men being inappropriate. But it was in that moment when I stepped up, it's like, dude, I'm, 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 this, isn't, this, is, this is your warning shot across the bow right now. The way you are acting, the condition you are in, I'm stopping this. You know, that, that show of, of almost power without having to use it, but it was because I didn't want to have to go any place like that, especially at a wedding where I was the one who just performed the ceremony. But it was protecting my wife. It was a righteous anger. She was being violated in that moment. And I said, let's diffuse the situation and let's, let's walk away from it. So she turns around and right when this happens, up front, my niece and my brother-in-law, you know, her dad, were doing the, the father-daughter wedding dance. Now, if you knew my wife's story, she was abandoned at the age of eight, and she also never knew who her father was. And to have them doing the father-daughter dance, it was, it was killing her. You know, it's that, that one thing that to this day, she will tell you that's a hole that, that you know, that will never be filled with, with, you know, because she didn't have a dad. And she disappears. She goes in the bathroom. And I turn around, and I could see what's going on. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, the enemy knows how to get his foot in the door, and he's patient. He knew that that disrespect would lead to my anger, that that would lead into her wound as well. And she goes in the bathroom, and I'm waiting. You know, it's 15 minutes, and I know she's got to be in there crying, but I can't walk in the women's bathroom. And so I get my phone out, and I text her. I said, hey, babe. I said, I love you. I said, come on back out. I said, "Let's, let's get up front and dance until the stars go to bed. You know, there's a time to be a lion, there's that righteous anger. You know, anger isn't always an inappropriate emotion. You know, if, if you see someone being molested, you know, it's a child or, or anyone, there's a righteous anger that you step up and you defend that person. But there's also the empathy, the lamb, knowing their story, 
walking into their wounds and tenderness, asking questions without trying to fix and control. It is so important that we learn that skill. And so I want to kind of move a little bit, you know, into that direction with this, because many times as men, we want, we want to fix something with, you know, control, anger, muscle power, all that stuff. And sometimes the greatest power we have is learning how to ask questions and getting into someone's life. But, you know, in that, in that room, when you're thinking about that, that wedding party, um, you know, I can't protect my wife in a moment. Let's say that, that someone was, was getting physical or with whatever. You know, if I'm walking in fear, um, I'm not going to be able to, to, to be the covering for my wife that she needs. And where does my confidence come from? You know, does it, does it come from the martial arts? Does it come from having muscles? Does it come from, you know, packing, you know, a piece, you know, in your belt? What is, where does that come from? No. That confidence comes because my identity is in Christ when I no longer have to be afraid because I know that the God of the universe has already seen this situation. He's given me what I needed to be able to do in those moments. You know, and in the martial arts, we used to talk about this. You know, if you get into a fight, you've already kind of lost the beginning of the whole thing because the best thing to do was to either use your words or walk away. So how do we do that in these situations when we're struggling? Because there is a time for strength and there is a time for tenderness. You know, confidence, um, walking in confidence so that we can, we can handle situations isn't arrogance. Confidence isn't walking into a room thinking you're better than everyone. Confidence is walking into a room knowing you don't have to compare yourself to anyone. I don't know if you ever feel like this, but sometimes like when Stacy and I'll be out somewhere and I can see, you know, I'll see guys looking at her or whatever. And if, if, if I let my mind go there, they can begin to be almost a jealousy. You know, it's like, um, you know, I know that those guys are looking at her. Does she feel that? Does she get anything out of it? Well, you know what? We're all human. We, we really all are. And I think there's times when any of us, when they, as a man, they see you for what you do um, with respect, you get something out of it. You know, a woman's beauty, they get something out of it. But learning to keep that in a healthy place is so, so important. So how then... Can we be a covering, you know, for our wives? And I'm going to go that direction right now instead of just, you know, with our kids too. But how do we, how do we be a covering for our wives emotionally, not just in the physical sense like I was um, in the first part of that, that story at the wedding? I want to talk to you guys about a tool that I created um, probably about 10 years ago that I, I really believe is going to help the anger cycle that most marriages go through. So... If you got a, if you got a, uh, you know, a paper and pen or whatever, um, man, I just want to encourage you right now to go ahead. I'll give you just a second and kind of pull something that maybe on your phone you want to just open up a, you know, a, a messenger message or something and, and kind of put this in here. But this is, you know, when we're struggling with anger, and especially if it if it weaves its way into our relationship with our our spouse or with anyone. Let's just go back to that. This is a disarming technique that will help you create a safe place. Because nobody wants to go down that path of, you know, we're mad again. Really? We're on the crazy cycle. How do we get off this crazy thing? You know, Jane, you know, what was that? What was that television show? Um, George Jetson, he meet George Jetson. He... Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's called GUIDE. And it's an acronym. G-U-I-D-E is something we're going to use. And this is going to be a guide for you that when you're struggling, just like, you know, I had that guide with that Cape Buffalo that knew where they were going to be to how to get us out of those situations. This is going to be help you in, in your relationship. So the G of guide stands for get some truth. 
So let's say that you and your spouse or your child or your boss or your friend or whoever, you get into some kind of an argument. You both have something that played into each other's trigger, each into other's wound, and you're both upset and you're going at each other. Well, how do you get this crazy cycle to stop? It starts with you and it begins with G, which is get some truth. In other words, don't start telling them why you're mad, telling them your story. You're going autobiographical, right? Don't do that. If you really want to disarm the situation, you get some truth from them, no matter how small it is. You know what? They could be 90% wrong with how they're seeing something. It doesn't matter. It's very true to them or they wouldn't be upset. So the first thing you have to do is you have to get some truth that they're buying into, that they're believing, or it could be you that's wrong. But no matter how small it is, listen, get to the truth of what it is that they're believing that's causing them to be upset. So the you in guide, the second part of that, is understand before being understood. That's empathy. Um, was it Stephen Covey was great at trying to explain. I remember him telling a story one time of uh, there was a father with a bunch of kids on a, on a, on a train or a subway or something. I think it was New York City. And the kids are bouncing all over the walls in this car, you know, in this however long the ride was. Say it was 20 minutes across town. And there's some woman sitting across and she's getting really irritated because these kids are just uncontrollable. They're just throwing stuff and jumping all over the place. And he's like down with his face in his hands. He's not taking care of the kids. And she's like, why is this guy not taking care of his kids? And she finally says to him, can I help you, sir, with these you know, unruly children? And he looks up and he says, you know what? It's a really difficult day for them. My wife passed, you know, their mother, and we're on our way across town right now. You know, basically, I think it was to either the funeral home or to bury her or whatever it was. But you can see the power of that story, how quickly when you think you know what's right, but when you find out what's really going on, how it changes your emotion from one of anger or should statements that he should be taking better care of his kids to one of, I am so sorry, how can I help? And that's what empathy is. So it's understanding someone before them understanding what you're struggling with. You know, some of the things that you can do is to repeat and rephrase when, when you were getting truth, the G, get some truth. Sometimes empathy, empathy looks like repeat and rephrase what they just said. You know, like, so what I'm hearing you saying is, and it's important to clarify when you're rephrasing, because the way you might have heard something might not really be the way that they meant it. And the other thing is, if you can at all do this in person and not through text or through messenger, because you can't read a person's body language, you can't see, you know, what they're really showing on their face or their inflections with their words, but do it face to face, get some truth, and then understand before being understood and repeat and rephrase what they've said. That will help them feel heard and seen. The third thing is I and guy, G-U-I. Now, I stands for inquire. This is probably the hardest part of this whole disarming technique. And inquire means you're going to ask questions. And people go, how do I know what questions to ask them? That is the hardest part, but here's what it is. You will get better and practice this. Do it with your spouse. Sit down and have one person be upset about something. Make something up so you're not going to get into a real fight. But learn how to ask questions to help them get to the truth of what's really going on. And here's the thing. In the real situation, when you're asking questions, when you're inquiring, you have to assess their willingness in that moment to really want to answer what you're asking them because they might still be upset. If that's the case and they're not ready to answer, you go back to G. 
get some truth and begin again. Get some truth. Understand before being understood, which is using empathy, and then inquire, ask questions. And here's the thing you have to do. When you're, when you're asking questions and you're assessing their willingness, you have to um, not have an agenda. I was trying to think how to say that. Many times, because we think we know what's right or what's really going on, we'll have an agenda and we'll start trying to kind of manipulate them, you know, to um, control the situation. Something I've said many times, if my worth and value has anything to do with what you think about me, I will try to manipulate you 100% of the time to get your needs met. Let me say that again, because that was huge. If my worth and value, like in an argument, I'm getting my worth and value from you. So of course I've got to win this to get your respect. If my worth and value has anything to do with what you think about me, I will try to manipulate you to get my needs met. That's why it's so important that we don't have an agenda when we're asking questions. Let the Holy Spirit lead this. Now, number four, D and guide, G-U-I-D. Now is when it's okay for you to discuss your feelings. Now you can say, um, here's how I see it. Here's what I've been feeling as I've been listening to you. Now is the time to go ahead because you've disarmed them by getting the truth, using empathy, you know, asking questions. And then finally, number five is E. E is to encourage, which means to bring hope. Something like, you know what, I am so glad you were so honest with me. It was hard, but I would much rather have, you know, my wife being totally honest with me so we can really get down to what's going on than me always having to be right. That took a lot of courage for you to do that. See, encouragement lifts us up. It, it, It makes us get to the place now where we can actually talk about what's causing us problems in a marriage because we're encouraging each other out of the end of it. And here's something else. I always say identity, identity, identity. Where does identity come into disarming a disagreement, an argument in any relationship? If your spouse, your friend, whoever it is, is a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to remember that if they're acting out, they're acting out because they're believing a lie. And that lie that they're buying into, it didn't come from the real them. That lie came from the father of lies. Like Jesus, you know, calls Satan out in John 8, 44. No, he's a father of lies. He says when he speaks, there is no truth within him because he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you're sitting down with your spouse, you have to remember how important identity is. You have to look for the real you that is the one who is totally righteous because whatever they acted at that's causing the problem, it didn't come from the real them. So You have to pin the tail on the right donkey. You have to see the enemy in this so you don't go after your spouse. You go after the lies that both of you might be buying into. You untangle those. You use this disarming technique, and I'm telling you, you're going to begin to discover that your your relationship is so different. I wish I could tell you I do this every time that my wife and I get into a disagreement. And I love my wife more than anything in this world, but I'm not always the the best at that, even though I wrote that thing and, and... I don't always do it. Sometimes she'll even look at me and say, whatever happened to guide? And I'm like, oh, you ever been there? Yeah. I am so thankful I have a wife that is honest enough with me to say, hey, I think you're not doing that right now. And I'll, I'll try to correct. So what verse, you know, people say, well, aren't I supposed to be you know, correcting someone, fixing things? I love, this is out of the message paraphrase, but it's Romans 14, 4. I love this. 
It says if there's corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. So then where does revelation come from that helps us to see what we need to know? It comes from God. When does God cause revelation to happen? When he knows we're ready to hear it. You know, sometimes we go, why are we still going through the same thing? Why does God allow that? What we call the, the message of the arrows. I think it was John Eldridge. I don't know if it was Journey of Desire, one of those books. He talks about the message of the arrows. Why does God continually sometimes, it feels like, those challenges, those arrows to penetrate us in our deepest, darkest wound? It's because he wants us to finally deal with the core issue. It's love. He will allow that nerve to be played with, that arrow to keep hitting in the same spot until you finally deal with it because he wants you to be free. It is so important. Um, I want to kind of take you into an encouraging thing here at the end of this as we're kind of in the last few minutes, maybe seven, eight minutes of this. I was, I just came back from, from Wisconsin. I've been up there a lot. I've been traveling a lot as I was sharing last week. It's been so busy. I'll be heading to Alaska here in just a couple of days. But I shared with you a little bit about my wife's wound. We talked about the wedding and, and the, the, the woundedness that she had, not having a dad. She was actually abandoned at the age of, of eight. Um, not having that mother and father, you know, biological in the home with her. And so her need for security, as you can imagine, is really, really high. And no, I, I think I, I said before, I think I was born in a pew. I was in church, you know, twice on Sunday, you know, on Wednesday nights, because my mom led the choir, we had practice and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm this guy that kind of just flies by the seat of uh, my pants, you know, I, I just, with my faith, I've always trusted God. That's kind of the way I was brought up. It's a gift, you know, God's given me. But my wife didn't have that. And so my speaking season, when I'm, when I'm really busy speaking, you know, January through the end of April, beginning of May, it's pretty busy. Those are great months. It's almost like working on a fishing boat. You know, you make money in, in one kind of a small period of time during the year, and then you have to kind of space that out. Well, then my, you know, late May, June, July, and usually the beginning of August, no one's booking events because people are on vacation. Well, then... End of August, you know, September, October, everyone's booking game dinners and men's retreats. And then November, well, I'm hunting the rut. And then December, everyone's doing Christmas stuff. So we have to space out my income. Maybe you work, you know, maybe you're self-employed and maybe your income kind of goes like that. But what she really desires when she's in her, in the flesh is she wants that consistent income that says, hey, here's how much you're going to be bringing home every single week so I know what's coming in. We know how to budget everything. Well, man, my, I mean, almost maybe except for four years of my entire life, you know, I've been like that. Um, it's always been, you know, when I was doing concerts, when I was in music, whatever. And so learning to live by faith, there's, there's the hard side of that, but then there's the beautiful side of that. I've got to see God come through so many times. I didn't always have my wants, but I can guarantee you he has 100% of the time. And I'm 63 as of last week. He's 100% of the time at my needs. But I'm married to a woman whose story is different than mine. Remember we talked about guide, G-U-I-D-E, get some truth. Her story is going to look different than mine. So I'm in Wisconsin this last week, and I had a chance to take my uh, our youngest with us, and she was up to help work the table and actually brought her in to do the, the program speaking with me. And 
she messages me after the event and she said, hey, how many, how many guys signed up for Unleashed Plus? Now, if you're not familiar with Unleashed Plus, it's Unleashed in the podcast you're listening to now. But if you want to go deeper, you want to get questions to go with the episodes, um, you want to see um, uh, you know, live training seminars we're going to be doing or prize giveaways, all kinds of really cool stuff, you can sign up for Unleashed Plus. And you can go to unleashed.men and you can, you can find it on there. I think it's, it's $9.99 a month which is like the price of a burger once a month to have all this stuff. But anyhow, as we were putting it out there, you know, it, we were just starting it. And, you know, not a lot of people were signing up. And she messages me after the event. She goes, hey, how, how many signups did you have? And I said, you know, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not checking my email. And I, I said, I've been, I've been praying with guys after the event and talking to guys. And she's like, sorry, I'm not trying to throw a cold bucket of spit on that. I just, I'm worried. I'm worried about, you know, the money side. And because of, you know, you've always lived by faith. So you can see how her anxiety was going up. Well, you've got my passion and my calling out there working with these guys. And she wasn't with me on this trip. She was at home. So the enemy is playing into this in a, in a way that started to make me feel angry. It's like, don't you know I'm out here you know, praying with these guys and doing battle for them? And God's like, you got a wife at home that you got to do battle with too. And at first, you know, I was like, just where's your faith kind of a thing? And he's like, Brent, remember her story. Remember, guide. Well, here's what ended up happening. This is pretty, pretty cool. So the, the night before my last event in Wisconsin, I'm sitting around a table with this guy named Rich, Rich Ward, and we're talking. And I'm telling him, man, I said, you know, the calling, the ministry is going so strong, but the enemy's getting his foot in his door between that and my wife's need for security and he says, yeah, that's exactly where the enemy is going to be hitting you guys. He says, but I have no doubt that God's going to reveal himself to your wife in ways that you never could, but through just telling her your own stories. Well, one of the, there was a figure that night that we had kind of prayed for financially that maybe God would, would, would support going through Unleashed Plus from people signing up. Not one guy signed up that night. But what did happen? The exact dollar amount that she had wanted to come through from that night from Unleash Plus, a man walks up and hands me a check afterwards, and he says, don't open this until later. And it was the man who had prayed with me. A gentleman had given him this check. I opened it up, and it was the exact amount that we had prayed for. I mean, to the penny. So I you know, I get a hold of my wife's, hey, do you see that? Do you see the breadcrumbs God's laying down? You know, I'm trying to fix her, right? She's like, it's going to take more than that. I'm, I'm really struggling right now. And I'm like, oh, man. So get home off the road, and I'm like, God, why is her faith, no, not like mine? Brent, you know her story. He says, minister to your wife in her greatest place of need. We get up Saturday morning, or Sunday morning, I think it was, and we're sitting, having coffee downstairs early, and I'm saying, you know, I'm sorry that I was upset. Um, I know your story. And I said, I think God is calling me to just pray over you be a covering for you, and that we would seek him together in scripture and in, and in words, and that he can reveal himself to us both through a prayer that you are included in with me, not just somebody out on the road somewhere. As we are praying, my phone buzzes, and there's an event up in Michigan. The guy's like, Man, I, I, I've heard of you, I, I want to book you for this without any information. He's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and get you the deposit on the phone. You know, we'll get that taken care of now. 
And I look at my wife and I said, do you feel that? She said, yeah. What was the difference? I brought my wife before God together with me. I wasn't trying to fix and control. I was allowing, in that scripture, if there's, um, the whole scripture, if there's corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. God can take care of my wife's faith. And it's exactly what he did. One of the coolest things, I'm going to start winding down here. The coolest thing I want you to hear is, you know, in your anger, and you're looking at all these things and going, God, where are you in all this stuff? Do you really see me? Do you really hear what's going on? Maybe there's that situation between you and your wife. With Maybe it's what you're doing for a living. Um, you're trying to figure out, am I supposed to keep doing this? So it's during COVID, and my wife, I told you before in the Disrespect uh, podcast, she was saying, you're just going to have to go find something else. But we never lost hope, the sight that God wanted us to continue in ministry, to reach out, to strengthen men, to strengthen wives, to strengthen the family. And we go to our pastor and say, what are you hearing God say through all of this? He says, here's what the Holy Spirit's telling me to tell you guys. Stay the course. Well, it kind of made her a little bit upset because she was thinking, needs to be more consistent income. Let's go meet with somebody else. We met with another man we respected spiritually. At the end of the conversation, he said, the Holy Spirit's telling me this, stay the course. She's like, really? We're pulling into the house and our next door neighbor, who we never see, steps out, sees us, waves. And the only thing he says to us is stay the course. I don't know what your struggles are today, but I do know this. You have a God who knows the attacks of the enemy that you're coming in. And maybe he's, he's keeping you from maybe following that purpose or that passion that you have because you're afraid. But the one who made everything there is has a plan for you. Come together as husbands and wives. Come together as, as your brothers out there with those men. Get on your knees before God and then get on your feet. God is calling you. Stay the course. Guys, thanks for listening. Remember, we are the resistance and your strength is needed. Take care.